If you are visiting with us today, we're in the middle of a series um, talking about the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is, the, I believe, the, the fourth in this series and talking about uh, how He works in our lives corporately, individually, uh, what that looks like. And, uh, you know, I try to make each message stand on its own, um, but it's impossible to completely review everything that uh, we've covered and talked about. And, uh, and so you, you may not fully understand everything I share apart from those other messages. And so those are on our podcast if you want to listen to those. And uh, we can get you that information if you want to hear the rest of it. But we've been talking about the importance of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And we started with the reminder, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Uh, in fact, if you want to go to 1 Corinthians 14 in your Bible, we're going to go there uh, in just a moment. But let me summarize just briefly. Uh, in week one, we talked about we are the dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. God himself lives inside of us. Now, God's been revealing that throughout the scripture, from the Garden of Eden to the tent in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple. Jesus himself tabernacled among us is what the Bible teaches us in John chapter 1. And then Jesus said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will live in you. You will be the dwelling place of God. So the way that God impacts society today is through us. That's how he engages government, school. That, I mean, you, the notion that we, can, we have kicked God out of public school is a lie, okay? Don't ever repeat it. It's a lie. For wherever his people go, he is present. And so if there is one believing teacher, if there's one believing student who has the Holy Spirit, God hasn't been kicked out of anywhere. And so he's not kicked out of government. He is very much so alive and well in the government. And so we don't have to focus on what, you know, the enemy is doing. Let's focus on what God is doing. And greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. So it may look like I'm losing, but guess what? I know that I win. So that's, that's what we've got to get our mind around. Then we talked about the priority of love. We introduced the difference between uh, being a cessationist or believing that the gifts of the Spirit and uh, the power of the Holy Spirit stopped with the apostles and being a continuationist that believes that it still goes on today. Can I tell you that both sides of that argument uh, have scriptures that seem very for them and some have they both have some that seem against them. Uh, there's not a clear 100% black and white, here's how it is. Um, that's why there's such division in the body of Christ. Neither side, I, can, I believe, can stand up and say, we are 100% accurate and we're going to die on this mountain. The only mountain we die on is Calvary. Okay? That's it. The cross of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that's enough for us to come together in agreement. And these other things that we differ about, uh, we'll let them be sorted out later on or in each of our hearts and minds. Let the Holy Spirit lead us in that. And let's just cling to the cross. Amen? So that's what we, we talked about. We started to point that out. We believe that, that these gifts continue. We believe that Scripture points to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we believe, points to the return of Christ, not the introduction of the Scripture because of the context of it. We believe that that's the, the overarching teaching of Scripture. Jesus taught, wait for the Holy Spirit. 
when the Holy Spirit came, Peter said, you know what? This gift is for everyone who believes, everyone who's far off. They're going to dream dreams, they're going to have visions, and they're going to prophesy. And so because of that, we believe that these gifts are going to continue. They, that points to them operating. The love of God causes us to pursue these gifts. Like Paul said, pursue love, desire the gifts. But the, that love is also the parameters or the frame for those gifts. In other words, the gifts are the picture, love is the frame that you put around it. In other words, love sets the parameters for how those gifts should operate in our lives. And that was week two. We talked about um, freedom and restraint last week. That the freedom the Spirit brings also brings a responsibility of how I allow that to operate in my life. I can allow it to be chaotic and weird and crazy which is not what I believe the Holy Spirit wants, or I can act responsibly with the gift He has given me. The Spirit is subject to the prophet. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is written in response to the immature or the irresponsible use of the gifts of the Spirit in the Corinthian church. And Paul writes this letter to say to them, hey, the gifts are great. Go after the gifts. Nothing wrong with the gifts. You should desire them. Eagerly desire them. I command you eagerly desire them. But be responsible. Let love be the litmus test of it all. Make sure that the fruit is being evident in your life as well. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the spirit or the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. The common good. That's the key phrase. So today we're going to, and in fact for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I want to ask a very important question, or pose a very important question in our minds. Maybe it's one that's been in your mind is, why is the supernatural even necessary? Because for many Christians today, church is a place where I go, I sing a couple songs, um, I, I hear a message, maybe I get prayer, um, and then I go home feeling encouraged feeling better about myself, feeling like I'm ready to face whatever situation I'm going to face, and that's all that it is. But can I tell you that the church of Jesus Christ is more than that. We are the dwelling place of God. We are not the Kiwanis Club. We are not the Rotary Club. We are not a Tea Party rally. We are the church of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, the supernatural agent of God, lives inside of us. We should be different than any other gathering that ever meets anywhere on earth. I mean, all of these clubs, these civic clubs, will do good in our community. They will do things to try to better our community and help people and serve people. And all of that is good. But we are the only agent on earth that can offer life transformation. We can't just make your life better. We can make your life new. Not us, but the spirit who lives in us can take the, the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ and make your life completely brand new. And that's why the supernatural is important. But we have equated the supernatural with chaos or weirdness. And that's not the case. And so as we continue to talk through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I think that that's what's going to be, be, be seen. I desire our church to be a supernatural church. I want the Holy Spirit to be manifest. I want His fruit to be manifest in our corporate worship gatherings and in our individual lives. When we are pressed at work, I want patience and goodness and kindness to squeeze out of us because that's the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, anyone can have the fruit of the Spirit on Friday afternoon, right? But I want to have the fruit of the Spirit on Monday morning. Amen? I want to have it Monday at noon. I want to have it in the midst of the crisis. That fruit has got to be evident in our lives. But the gifts of the Spirit should also be evident in our lives. 
words of knowledge and words of wisdoms should operate in our lives at work and at church. Everywhere we are, the Holy Spirit should be manifesting or being seen to people around us for two reasons. If they're a believer, to encourage them and strengthen them. And if they're an unbeliever, to draw them to Jesus. That's what it is. That's the fruit. That's the gifts. That's why they operate. That's why they're important. And that's why we're taking time to study this. And so I've called this a ministry practicum. That word practicum is a nice college word where you learn theory you learn information regarding your field of study, in this case, the work of the Holy Spirit. But then you're also supervised in an environment to see how well we're putting into practice that theory. Make sense? So I don't want us just to learn theory about how the Holy Spirit works. I want us to begin to put it into practice. And so at the end of the service, we'll give you a chance to begin to practice what we're learning. It, during the worship gatherings, we'll give you the chance to practice. Not, we're not going to supervise like with a clipboard saying, Yep, doing it right. Nope, not doing it right. But we've talked about how, like, as leaders, we're going to maybe correct some things because I believe, as we've been taught, there are things that are absolutely appropriate for me in my private devotional life to do as a spirit-filled believer that aren't appropriate in a corporate worship gathering. And so we are going to do our best as leaders and as pastors and as, as deacons and elders to, to correct things or to make this a safe place to, to help set up a structure where the supernatural can operate, but in a way that everybody is encouraged, strengthened, or drawn to Christ. Does that make sense? All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you've got your Bible, you can read along from there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, I'd love to buy you one. Um, in fact, if you have a smartphone, you can get a free one. Just download it. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Hear that. If you speak in a tongue, you don't speak to men, you speak to God. No one understands him. Keep that in mind. He utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many languages in the world. None is without meaning, but I do not know the meaning of the language. I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. What's he saying? He's saying, okay, we've talked about this. Tongues without an interpretation is just chaos. 
with an interpretation, it's equal to prophecy. The same way as when Christy played this instrument today, it sounded nice. If I'm just standing here doing this, that does, that's great. Woo! It's an indistinct sound. That's not pleasing to the ear. But because there are, are notes and there are chords, and I, I pray all the time, Lord, give me the gift of cording, but it hasn't come on my life yet. And so, you know, it sounds nice if we play it together. See, if we do this, not so good. And so there are certain notes. How will, the, how will the army know to get ready if you give the bugle to someone who's never played it before? The army's going to be like, dude, what was that? The, the call to use the restroom? I don't know. It's kind of weird. So they, you've got to have distinct notes. And so if there are tongues with no interpretation, that's what it's like. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't do what it, it's supposed to do. Now, verse 13. Therefore... One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with, with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? So if I speak in tongues right now, but there's no interpretation, you can't say amen. Because you have no idea what, that, what, the, what I just said. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Father, give us understanding of how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives, how you would like to operate in our lives. Teach us, instruct us. May we be a clean slate today for you to speak to. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is, we've got to understand, first and foremost, is that Paul is speaking about a public worship gathering. That's his, his message, his theme of these three chapters. So everything that he says has to be taken in the context of the corporate worship gathering. Okay, that's the first and foremost thing. He says to them clearly, there's nothing wrong with your desire for spiritual gifts. That's a good thing. But he says that your, your pursuit of the gifts has become obsessive to the point that you're stepping out of bounds, if you will. And so he tries to bring them back, and then he says, love should be the, the framework for this thing. And that's why he's trying to, to put this in that frame. And so when Paul comes along, he says, there's an overemphasis of tongues in your meeting. An overemphasis of tongues with no interpretation. In other words, there's a whole lot of people speaking in tongues out loud, loud enough for everyone to hear, but there's no interpretation. Paul says that's not okay. Now, if you're at home and you're in your prayer closet, pray in tongues all you want. There needs to be no interpretation at that moment. And he tells us there's a benefit for that. We'll get to that in a minute. But when you're in the public worship gathering, that's just not okay. If you can pray in tongues quiet enough that no one is, is hearing you, go. you do that. But if you're going to raise your voice to a level that other people can hear you in tongues, there needs to be an interpretation. And in that sense, prophecy is better because prophecy is a tongues and interpretation. Those two gifts equal one gift. So Paul says, I'd rather you just prophesy. Just say it in English so everyone can understand you. And so many times in Pentecostal circles, even today, we fall into this same error. 
we have gone, uh, we've spent so much time trying to defend the gift of tongues, or that tongues is for today, that tongues has become the Pentecostal brand. And we equate it with tongues. People will say, well, pastor, uh, you know, aren't we a Pentecostal church? Where are the tongues? Okay, where are the other eight gifts? Where's the gift of faith? Where's the gift of miraculous powers? Where's the gifts of healing? Where's the gift of discernment? Where is the power to be a witness in my daily life that accompanies this baptism? This is what it means to be Pentecostal. Yes, tongues is a part of that, but tongues is not all of that. And we, not the other church world, not the cessationists have done this. We have done this. We have so emphasized tongues that that's become our, our brand. And that's not to be used in a public setting unless there's an interpretation to go with it. That should not be what marks us as a Pentecostal church. Holiness should mark us. The power of the indwelling spirit, the fruit of the spirit, that should mark us. If this is a genuine experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there ought to be more evidence than just the initial one. Amen? We're going to talk about tongues in a minute, but I want to look at prophecy first. Because many cessationists will teach us that this word prophecy here is what I'm doing right now. I, I've prepared a message, I believe with the help of the Holy Spirit, to share with you, and that's prophecy. Uh, but in the scripture, the Greek word caruso is a word that is used throughout the scripture for what I'm doing right now. That's the public proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not the word Paul uses in this passage to talk about prophecy. What he's talking about when he talks about prophecy is a special revelation. What I shared with you in the service when I came and talked about the blood of Jesus Christ, I didn't come to service today prepared to say that to you. I felt during worship, that's what the Holy Spirit put in my heart. That's a prophecy. Your job as believers is to take what I shared and say, okay, here's the scripture. Does it match? If it matches, pray, thank you, Jesus, for sharing that word. The same thing with what Mark shared today. It, when Mark is sharing, after he shared it, we're like, okay, does that match what the scripture says? Thank you, Jesus, for sharing. Now, if someone shares a prophecy and immediately we're like, that's not what the scripture says. We dismiss the word. We don't dismiss prophecy we dismiss what was shared, okay? That's what we're commanded to do in Scripture. And so what Paul is doing is he, by the way, that's what Peter did at Pentecost. Peter did not prepare a message for the day of Pentecost. He got up, empowered by the Spirit, and he prophesied, okay? That's what he did. He didn't caruso, okay? He didn't proclaim the gospel with a, with a, a prepared message or speech, he, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spoke. That's a prophetic word. So, Paul is contrasting tongues and prophecy. Tongues, in the sense, <coughs> excuse me, tongues in the sense of tongues and interpretation or tongues by itself in the corporate worship gathering. Paul's saying, if you speak in tongues, you're speaking to God. And you know what he says? He says, no one else understands you. That's an interesting statement. We'll come back to it. If you prophesy, you're speaking in your language. For us, English. This is our known language. We're prophesying. The one who gets built up by that is the hearer. If I pray in tongues, who gets built up by that? Me, the speaker. That's what Paul says. And so even though this is a corporate worship gathering, 
and that he's talking about, he's teaching us a whole lot about tongues that nowhere else in Scripture teaches us. He's laying a foundation that I'm going to come back to in just a second. But when we come to prophecy, he gives us in verse 3, three words. Not only should we test it to see if it's biblical, but it should be strengthening, encouraging, and it should be comforting. That's what it should be. Now, even if it's kind of a rebuke, even if it's something that maybe is like God saying, come on, you know, why aren't you calling out to me? I am here for you. It should not be given in a tone or with words that make us all go like this and be ashamed of ourselves. It ought to stir up faith in our hearts and say, you know what? Yeah, it's like a preparing of the troop for battle. It's like the basketball coach pulling his team in and trying to get them excited or pumped up about going out on the floor. Come on, guys, we can win this thing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's a coach. He's an encourager. That's what the word paraclete is all about. He doesn't come alongside of us like Bobby Knight and pick up chairs and whip them at us. You know who Bobby Knight is? Okay, coach for Indiana. That's, I mean, he's red face. And sometimes prophetic words are given that way in church, Bobby Knight style. I don't think Paul would be okay with that. I think Paul would go to that person after service and say, hey, I want you to give a word. Your desire for spiritual gifts is awesome, but uh, not that way. No chair throwing, no, none of that. Say, well, hey, wait a minute. Jesus fashioned a whip and he, you know, Jesus did it once. Okay, well, actually, maybe twice. That's not going to be the pattern for our lives because Paul says here it should be for encouraging, strengthening, comforting. So, that's prophecy. Let's go to tongues. Tongues, I want to talk about it outside of the worship gathering. Uh, I want to talk about what we believe as the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit being tongues. Why we believe that, what we believe Scripture shows us, and how to frame that, if you will. That's what I want to look at today. There is an experience with the Holy Spirit, that we refer to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, where tongues is a part of it. The person receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the person being immersed in, overflowing with, filled up with the Holy Spirit, speaks in tongues. That's the pattern that we see in Scripture. Now, I believe, like the Scripture says, that anybody who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord and has surrendered their lives to Him, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. Now, we like to say, well, you know, if there's more of that that the Lord wants to give me, he'll just give it to me. Uh-uh. Even though he's our friend, unless we ask, seek, knock, he won't. I mean, the same way that we, we received salvation, we receive this baptism in the Holy Spirit by asking, by seeking, by knocking. That's the pattern that we see in Scripture. Now, some people will say the initial physical evidence being tongues is too restrictive. It, it says that, uh, you know, if, if you don't do it our way in the assemblies of God, that you're not spirit-filled. I don't believe anyone is saying that at all. That's not what I believe that we are teaching in the assemblies of God. That's not what I believe Scripture teaches. Can someone who has never spoken in tongues operate in one of the other gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely. Can an unbeliever operate in a gift of the Spirit? Absolutely. A donkey in the Old Testament operated in a gift of the Spirit. So 
we're not saying that if you don't go this pattern, then, you know, you can't do any of it. No, what we're saying is there's a purpose for tongues. Paul tells us here, we, we learn about it in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4 and throughout the book of Acts. That's the pattern that we see in Scripture, and so we've made it our pattern because of what we see in the Bible. Let me stop for just a second and tell you that no one can teach you to speak in tongues. Unfortunately, there are actually teaching series out there that you can buy on CD or cassette um, where you can learn to speak in tongues. Now, uh, that's not how it happens. I've actually been in a service where someone up here was teaching, okay, now, just repeat after me. Huh? There's no pattern for that anywhere here. Okay, so tongues is a supernatural thing, but only the Holy Spirit is going to teach you and tell you what to say. No person up here is going to teach you or tell you what to say. And so don't repeat something until you just start stuttering and then woo, you're filled with the Spirit. No. Okay, let's just throw that out the window right now. Okay, not in the scripture. We are introduced to tongues in Acts chapter 2. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one, listen, was hearing them speak in his own language. Now wait a second. Didn't Paul just tell us in 1 Corinthians 14 that nobody understands it when you speak in a tongue? So how in the world are these people hearing in their own language? I don't know. The mystery could be in the hearing or the mystery could be in the speaking. We're not told that they're actually speaking in a known language. We're told that they're hearing them speak in their language. Okay? So the Holy Spirit could be giving the, the person that's speaking French, Spanish, Portuguese, all of these languages, or he can be working on the hearer of the listener and they can be hearing it. Could be either way. We make a lot of assumptions with the scripture that aren't necessarily there. So they were amazed and astonished. And are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each in his own native language? They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking them, saying, no, they just had too much wine. So even in this genuine moment where thousands of people are getting saved, there are some in the crowd that are saying, no, this, this is just chaos. This is just ridiculous. This doesn't make any sense. And they're not getting saved. Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that tongues is for the speaker. It builds up the speaker. That tongues does not, no one understands it. It's to God and God alone. That's what he teaches us in 1 Corinthians 14. But yet, even in our world today, there are, are instances where people say, you know what, I was in a service and someone spoke in a tongue and that was the, my native language and I understood all of it. Good. That must be the exception, not the rule, in the public worship service. Because other than here on the day of Pentecost, that's never repeated any other time. Never again in Scripture does someone speak in a tongue and it's understood by someone else hearing it. So we can't really make that our pattern because it's happened once. But then if we go through the rest of Scripture, in Acts chapter 8, the apostles 
had heard that the believers in Samaria received the word of God, so they sent Peter and John to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit had not fallen on them, but they've only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, can I tell you something? Scripture tells us you can't be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus if the Holy Spirit hasn't made Jesus real to you. So the Holy Spirit's already in them. Why does he have to pray for them to receive a, a secondary experience with the Holy Spirit if it's salvation only? Well, cessationists would teach us is because the, we got to go to the Samaritans, so to prove it, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit also. And in fact, we're going to look in Acts chapter 10, and the Gentiles had to be baptized in the And so these people were only baptized in the Holy Spirit to prove that salvation was for everybody. Not that it's for everybody, not the baptism in the Holy Spirit's for everybody, just to prove salvation is for everyone. Well, that's a great theory, but that's only the theory if we start with the idea that the gifts no longer operate. I don't think we can read any of these passages and come up with that, you know, yep, that's clearly what the Scripture's saying, but we can see that it's a pattern. We can see that, okay, these believers need to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, but they're not speaking in tongues here. You're right. They're not speaking in tongues. But here's Simon, a man who has performed miracles and seen all kinds of uh, supernatural things happen, And he's observing the apostles lay their hands on these people, and these people are receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And this man who has seen manifestations, supernatural, says, I want to buy that gift. Something had to happen to strike his interest. I mean, it wasn't like John laid their hands on the believers, and the believers were like, I praise the Lord of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. And Simon's like, I want to buy that gift. You, you understand what I'm saying? That doesn't, that doesn't click. But not worthy of making a pattern yet. So Acts chapter 10. Peter goes to these uncircumcised Gentiles and he begins to share with them the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes on them and they speak in tongues and they extol God. They praise God. They, they magnify God. And Peter says, can anyone withhold the, from baptizing these men in water who just received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter's beginning to make a pattern. They received the Spirit the same way we have. It's a pattern. In Acts chapter 19, did you receive the Holy Spirit, Paul asked the believers, When you believed, they said, no, we haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. Well, what baptism have you received? John's baptism. Remember, the believers from Acts chapter 8 have been baptized in the name of Jesus, but these are only baptized in John's baptism of repentance. So Paul says, John baptized for repentance, but you've got to believe in the one who's coming after him, Jesus. So then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, Baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, we have to assume the Holy Spirit lives in them or they wouldn't have made this step. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Well, some people say, well, what about prophesying? Isn't that an initial evidence? Sure, put it together. You need to speak in tongues and prophesy. There's a pattern. The pattern is not to restrict people, but the pattern is to say, you know what, there's an experience with the Holy Spirit that includes speaking in other tongues for a purpose. 
And we need to pursue that, not in an overemphasis way, the way that the Corinthian church was done, but still we need to seek it and go after this gift. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 exactly why we should do that. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks to God. No one else understands him. Look at verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. How many of you would, that, you know, life is hard and you would like to be built up in your inner man? Me? Well, the Bible says right here the way to do that is to speak in a tongue and you will build yourself up in your inner man. Then we go down to verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful, but if I, I, what do I do with this? I pray in my spirit, but I also pray with my mind. I pray, I sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my mind. Paul says, I do both. And in a public worship service, I do it in my mind. I prophesy. Tongues is important. I want all of you to speak in tongues. But in a church service, I want you to prophesy. See what he's saying? He's not discounting tongues. He's not pushing it out the window. He's not saying don't do it. He's not saying it's not for today. He's saying, I want you to do it, but let's frame this thing. It's fruitful. It's good. It builds you up. But in the public worship service, it's not about you personally. It's about the entire body being built up. That's why prophecy is more important. Now, if we're going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture like we should, then when we go to verses like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, where it says, praying at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? The only other place we see this in Scripture defined for us is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul clearly defines it as tongues. If I pray in the Spirit, when Paul says pray in the Spirit, sing in the Spirit, he is alluding to tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. So when we come to Ephesians 6.18, how do we make sense of it? We've got to interpret Scripture with Scripture. The only thing that it tells us is that's tongues. When Jude says in Jude chapter, or Jude verses 18 through 21, in the last day there's going to be scoffers. There's going to be people who follow their ungodly passions. They're going to cause divisions. They're going to be worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. How do we build ourselves up in the most holy faith? Praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and all who brings eternal life. Again, the... That, that perfectly fits with 1 Corinthians 14. Praying in the Spirit builds you up in your inner man. It gives you power to overcome ungodly passions. This is what's happening in, in Acts. This is what's happening in 1 Corinthians. This is what's happening in the Scripture. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should, so the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I don't know how to pray sometimes, but the Spirit will pray through me so that I can pray more effectively. So why, do we, why is this so, so important? Pastor Tom, why do we harp on this? Why, do, why, do you, why, do you make, uh, why are you taking a whole day to talk about speaking in tongues and being baptized with the Holy Spirit? Because of what the Scripture says it's for. The Scripture says if you learn the language of the Spirit, if you walk with the Spirit, if you pray in this language that He gives you, there's a benefit for you. It's going to build your faith. It's going to give you power to witness. We didn't read that one, but Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says you're going to receive power to be a witness when the Holy Spirit comes. So here's the thing. If you're speaking in tongues, but there's no power to witness, maybe you've made it all about the tongue. Maybe. 
Maybe if there's no fruit in our lives, maybe if there's no other gifts operating in our lives, but hey, we speak in tongues, so we must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then you've made it all about tongues, and it's for nothing. It's not about seeking the tongue. It's about the power that comes through the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be a witness, to build up my faith, to overcome ungodly passions, to pray as effectively as I need to. That's why it's important. That's why I believe the enemy comes to cause so much confusion in this area because he'll like to make us as ineffective as possible. You know, I I don't mind if you go to heaven, but I'm going to make sure you don't take anybody with you, in essence. And here's the thing, as Pentecostals, we have gotten so good at defending tongues. But what about personal holiness in our lives? What about the other gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit? And if you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, stop defending tongues. Because tongues was given so that the other things would be manifest in our lives. And if we're using it for any other reason, stop using it. Some people would say, I know we're getting close to 12 o'clock. Thanks for sticking with me. Some people would say, but look, it says right here, all don't speak in tongues. Remember what I told you. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the first thing we've got to remember is the Apostle Paul is speaking in a corporate setting. What Paul is teaching them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we covered that in week one, is that Christianity is not isolationism. It's not all about you. When you come, when we come together in worship, everybody has something to add to the mix through the power of the Holy Spirit. So some is going to, somebody's going to do this, someone's going to do this, someone's going to do this, someone's going to do this, and the whole body is going to be encouraged and built up. So what he's saying is, you know what, you're not everything. It's not all about the person that stands right here. It's not all about the leaders and the team. It's everybody's needed. Are they all, is everyone an apostle? No. Is everyone a prophet? No. Is everyone a teacher? No. But it takes all the apostles, it takes the prophets, it takes the teachers, it takes someone to work a miracle, it takes someone to possess the gift of healing for the day, it takes someone to speak in a tongue, it takes someone to interpret that tongue. Corporate gathering, that's why he puts tongue interpretation right there. He is not referring to the personal tongue I use in my prayer language. He makes sure to put the do all interpret right with it. And so in the context of what he's saying, he's not saying that, you know, it's just for some of you. It's for all. That's what Peter said. This same gift that is poured out here in Acts chapter 2 is for all of you. It's for everyone in this room. If you'll ask, seek, and knock. Now for those of you that have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit once, go to Acts chapter 4 and read Acts chapter 4. Those same people that received the baptism in Acts chapter 2 are being overwhelmed and persecuted. So they pray, Lord, help us. And they're all, again, quoted from the Bible, all filled with the Holy Spirit. But they already were. Well, Paul tells us to be continuously filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6. It's not about a one-time experience with the Holy Spirit. So what's this mean for us? The baptism in the Holy Spirit is for today. It is for us as believers. The initial evidence of that being tongues is not to restrict anyone or to say, 
well, this person is more spiritual because you've spoken in tongues and you're on a lower plane and you shouldn't be able to do that gift because you haven't spoken in tongues. It's not about that. It's to show us there's a pattern in Scripture. It's to show us that this tongues is given to us for a purpose and a reason. It wasn't just God in heaven saying, okay, what sign could we give, you know, that would, you know, what could, let's come up with something. I don't know. You go, oh, good idea, Holy Spirit. Let's throw that in the mix. I mean, God knew from the beginning that this was going to take place. And there's a reason for it. That's why he's established it. And Paul shows us what it means. And it's not just in Acts. It's not just in 1 Corinthians. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. It's in Jude. It's in Romans. And it's littered throughout the New Testament for us as believers to pursue that same gift. I'm going to invite uh, Christy to come back to the keyboard. As we close the service today... Here comes the practicum. It's great. I don't care if you can put together a great defense for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you can put together a defense for speaking in tongues. What I care is whether or not the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the power to witness, the personal holiness is, is manifesting in all of our lives. That's the purpose of it. I could care less whether every other church in town thinks we're crazy. What I care about is whether or not the fruit of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit to be a witness, that holiness is evident in our lives. I care more about the fruit than I do convincing anyone else. And the only reason I would even talk to anyone else or try to convince anyone else is for that same reason, because I want that same fruit to be available to them as well. And here's the thing, I don't even talk to people about it unless they ask, if I know they don't believe it. Because it's not important. If they're clinging to the cross, yay! But if someone comes to me and says, hey, why do you believe? I'll gladly sit down and talk to you about why I believe. And we can have a conversation back and forth. But we don't have to be, as Pentecostals, dogmatic and high and mighty and more spiritual. None of that is true. In fact, there's more fruit in the lives of non-Pentecostal believers many times than there is in the lives of Pentecostal believers. And that should shame us. Why is that possible? Because I think we've made tongues an end. Instead of remembering that tongues is not the end, tongues is the gateway. And Paul outlines what it's for. And so today as we close... Our, our prayer team is going to be here in the front. If you want someone to pray with you, we'd love to pray with you. If you just want to pray by yourself, you can come and find a place of prayer. We're not going to bother you. No one is going to push you, shake you, uh, you know, listen over you. We're going to let you just seek the Lord and say, God, you know what? I need to be built up in my faith. God, I need the power. I'm sick of dealing with the same sin. I need the power to break these ungodly passions. I'm scared to death to tell people about you. You know what? My neighbors walk into my yard and I ignore them. I need you to do something in my life to, to I, I can't do this by myself. I need the power of the Spirit that you sent to be active in my life and so I'm seeking you to give me that gift. You should expect that the Spirit is going to give you that utterance, that tongue, that thing to speak out. And we're not going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you. And you're going to speak it out. Here's the thing. He's not going to overtake you. Demons overtake us. They speak through us as human beings. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. 
He'll come and he'll tell you. He'll nudge you. He'll, but he will never overpower you. Satan is a manipulator. He's an overpower. That's why demonic people, their eyes will roll back. They'll speak in a girl, and it's not them. It's the demon speaking. The Holy Spirit does not work that way. He's not going to force it on you. But he'll come, and he'll, if you say, you know what? <laughs> I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you. He'll gladly come and walk with you. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to close this service in prayer and as I pray if you want to come, if you want to kneel and pray by yourself, if you want to come have someone pray with you we want to meet you here if you just want to stay and worship for a few moments with us, you're free to do that if you need to leave, we understand that we're going to bless you and let you leave in the name of the Lord but please, if you're going to visit just visit out there in the hallway and let this be a place of prayer for those that want to linger just a little bit more and so, Father, I thank you for your plan. God, from beginning to end, this plan, as it has unfolded for us, is so amazing. For you to dwell with Adam and Eve in the garden, and then for you to dwell among your people in a tent, in the tabernacle, in the temple. For you to come yourself on this earth as a human, and to dwell among us, the tabernacle among us, and then to send your spirit to live inside of us. God, so that we no longer try in our own strength to, to live up to the law or your standard of perfection and holiness. God, we can now just rely upon the Holy Spirit to do that work in us. So teach us to surrender to Him. Teach us to walk with Him. Teach us to keep in step with Him. Teach us how He operates and works. Give us hearts that just yield to Him. Father, I pray for those today in this room that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But God, for those of us that have just made it all about tongues, we repent. God, we understand that tongues is important, that tongues is a gateway. But God, we need the power to be witnesses. There are lost people that need to hear about you. And God, we are full of fear and anxiety. We need the courage of your spirit working in us. God, we struggle with the sin in our lives. We need the power of your spirit to help us overcome the ungodliness of our own lives and hearts. God, we need the fruit of your spirit manifested in us. We need the gifts of your Spirit to manifest in our lives. Teach us, Holy Spirit, to walk in that. Father, for those in this room that have never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I pray, Spirit, today that you would make this clear in their hearts and minds, that you would give them faith today to be able to ask and receive for this empowerment for living. Holy Spirit, we want to be a church where you operate where you are seen by the world around us, where your fruit is seen, where your power is seen, where people are encouraged and strengthened, and where people are drawn to the cross. Make us that type of church, I pray. In Jesus' name.
Shade.